Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 176. Today's show is brought to you by Sanebox, Anchor, and Ting. From Overcast London, my name is Mike Hurley from, uh, I'm assuming, probably sunny Italy, Rome. We have Federico Vitici. Ciao, Federico. Ciao, Mike. It's not sunny, but it's Italy, so partially right. Hi. It's got to be at least warmish, right? Surely. Every yeah, it's day. not too bad. And the only reason I'm doing this is so I can announce from icy, snowy, frozen Memphis, Tennessee, Mr. Stephen Hackett. It's uh, it's a real scene over here. It's like I got four inches mm-hmm. of snow in my yard and I don't know what to do with it. So yeah. I'm just going to well, sit, I heard sit there. that your kids are never going back to school ever again. Yeah, they're on day five of uh, <laughs> a long weekend. <laughs> it's not great. They need to well, go back to school. I don't know. For them... This is pretty good. Oh, they're having a ball. Uh, my to-do list is very unhappy, but that's fine. Yeah. It's fine. We have we have follow-up, and we have some topics, and we have some ads. It's a pretty normal week on mm. Connected. I mean, that's, I guess, what I'm getting at. It's exciting. Exciting. Exciting stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. So we're going so, to start with follow-up, and then we'll mm. do those other things. First point of follow-up this week is several people pointed out that the domain Mike.zone is for sale, but I don't remember the joke. Like, What is this? I don't know. Nope. What happened? I don't remember. What is, what is a Mike zone? Maybe, it's like I don't a, know. It's like a Snell zone, but, but for me. Yeah, it's my Maybe. own zone. The, 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 you're in my zone. So anyways. You're all going to be in my zone this year. It's, it's still for sale. Uh, sh- should we buy it? If people told us, it seems like an important event that we shouldn't forget. The thing is, now, at least one of us has to buy it, because we're talking about it. So Mm. it has to be purchased Mm. at this point. Otherwise, somebody else is going to go, $30? Mike.club is only $5. I want to join the Mike Club. um, Mike.website. Twenty-five. Very exclusive. Club. I have to buy all of I, these. We need to stop talking about this. Mike dot mom. We should. We should. We should. Do, we should create a database of all the jokes and stupid things we say, so that we don't. We can keep track of them. Yeah, I feel like that's um, a, a Kyle job. The real. You know? The real like takeaway here is that we're old and don't remember why this is funny. But like, I had yeah, like four emails for about it. You know, Fifty or Mike dot webcam is seven hundred and nine dollars. <laughs> I want I want to watch the Mike webcam, <laughs> and I'm pretty confident nobody else is going to buy that one. I did just have to drop sixty dollars in domain purchases. So <laughs> you really did it? Yeah. Well, because we mentioned three very specific ones, and if I don't buy them, somebody else is going to yeah. buy them, and uh, they've been mentioned on the show. If you buy mm-hmm. Mike dot webcam, please let me know. And we will feature you on the show. Last week, we were talking about the potential for a redesign of the Apple Watch. And Norm wrote in to say that they hope that Apple keeps compatibility with the existing watch bands and and straps. And I'm curious how long you guys think they should do this. I mean, the the watch has been out now, what, three years? Somewhere in there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is it would it be reasonable for them to to redesign it and break compatibility with the straps, or do you think that that's a big no no? Mm. I, I don't think I don't think the the bands are keeping the Apple Watch innovation behind. No, I don't think the the current situation with the bands is like with the thirty pin dock connector before <laughs> they switch to Lightning. Yeah, um, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident that they will stay around for a while. Um, I I don't think I cannot imagine that those 
tiny connectors and the 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 thickness of the band is keeping you know Apple from changing the design of the watch. So I think, uh, especially because there's a there's a collectors um, mindset about the the current uh, Apple Watch bands, I think they will be around for for the foreseeable future. I just don't know what they would have to do in a redesign to break compatibility with the straps. Like, I guess they could change the width, but those seem like pretty standard sizes. But even if the watch was radically thinner, you're not going to like eat into the space where the bands go for a while. So I just, I don't see it being a problem um, at any point in, in, in sort of the realistic future. Um, the chat room is recommending that if they do it, maybe they offer a dongle so you could convert your old watch straps to the new body. I mean, that seems reasonable. <laughs> okay, so uh, my thinking on this is eventually, well, yeah, this will happen, right? And I, I guess if you want to make it th- thin- thinner, like if what you're really wanting to do is make it thinner, then maybe that you would need to do this, right? Like to, to slim the overall profile of the watch down. I don't know, right? But that would be my assumption of why you why they could potentially look to change this at some point. But I am a person who owns lots and lots of watch bands. I have bought many watch bands. And my feeling on this is like if they do it, I'm not gonna be like over the moon, but I accept that this is going to happen. Yeah. Like if this year Apple did this, I would be like, man, but okay, right? Like, I've had three of these now, or is it four? How many watches has there been? I get confused now because of the series numbers. Technically four, okay. but it's been three years. All right, so I I've owned yeah. three of them, right? So my thinking is, after three, if they changed it, like, I would kind of understand, like, at some point would change. And my, my thinking of this is, I know that maybe people don't tend to buy tons of phone cases but it's a similar kind of thing to me like i will over the life of an iphone maybe buy a couple of cases for it either because one's broken or i like a new color like i just bought the orange one because i really like the color and i know that eventually this phone's dimensions will change and those cases won't fit anymore and i guess the bands are a similar thing um at least that that's kind of the way that i'm trying Mm. to position it in my brain two Two thoughts. Um, the first one is that we're going to get feedback from people who say, well, if you buy the stainless steel band, that's not really comparable to the sport band for the Apple Watch because the uh, the cost, you know, you're spending hundreds of dollars or euros on that band, which I, under- which I understand. Yep, but you can also choose to spend hundreds of dollars on an iPhone case if you want to, right? Like, the choice is yours. True, true, if you want to get a diamond-encrusted... Um, yeah, uh, iPhone case, uh, totally. Um, but what I can see happening first is some new Apple Watch bands that are not compatible with old watches. That I can see happening first, rather than Apple changing the design of the Apple Watch, watch band altogether. I can see how in the near future we'll get a new Apple Watch and new bands that can only be used on the new watches instead of saying, I'm going to buy the new band and I'll use it on my Series 2. How would that happen, though? Because like, if the Connect is the same, then... Okay. We're just, we're, just, we're just imagining here. Like an extra pin? or like Because I can see Apple moving, for example, into the direction of smart bands that have some technology inside of them maybe you know yeah that that makes more sense yeah like that's that's a way in which i could imagine 
that they offer a band that doesn't work with other devices, like it because it, it doesn't have any smarts in it or whatever. But yeah, but there we go. I think it was a good uh, a good thing to talk about, right? Because this is a thing that hasn't happened. I think we were all a little bit surprised when the second watch, like it all worked okay, and then it continued. So are they? Is this going to be how it always is? I kind of doubt it, but it's kind of about when and how they do make that change. There was something that I wanted to mention because I was kind of just poking around on Apple's website today um, as I was thinking about some stuff for the show, and I stumbled across the Air Power mat. Right now, mm. I don't recall. Stephen, you may not have a better memory for this. If Apple ever gave any kind of time frame for air power when it was introduced they said at the time all they said was next year which would be 2018 cool so so that's what the website says right now so like they stuck to that i'm kind of just wondering like when like when is when are we going to see this product like Mm. i would assume soon Mm. on two (laughs) how soon is 2018 that's your question (laughs) um I don't know. Uh, I was under the impression uh, that there was going to be some kind of, not necessarily Apple event, but like an Apple release week of some kind, where sometime in March, for example, we got a bunch of press releases from Apple um, with, you know, a new announcements. Maybe they could go together with, a, with an iOS 11 update, because in theory, <laughs> we should also be getting the uh, iOS 11 update with the, with the battery stuff, which I assume it's going to be some kind of 11.3. That's the usual uh, m- mod size update that Apple does before the I mean, WDC. they did it so, one time it was a modest update. That's It's not a pattern, I don't think, but... Well, last year we we got some, you know we got fun my AirPods. Oh, yeah. it, it tends to be bigger than it tends to be, not it's not groundbreaking, but it tends to be bigger. Come on, it tends to be bigger than the ones before. I, I think that is a pattern at this point. So I would be surprised if we don't get eleven point three. With I'm not saying that they're gonna have a redesign, but of you know major features like split view is now totally different. But dark mode. No, also not gonna happen. <laughs> so, anyway, Shelf. I think <laughs> I think uh, there, there could be an iOS uh, update and a few press releases, and Apple can announce a bunch of things without doing an event. Home so maybe there. <laughs> All at the same time, coming in April. Uh, yeah, okay, I, th- that makes sense. Like that, I think it would be really nice if they could release it with the battery thing. <laughs> Like, just like the, the battery press release day. That would be kind of fun. Uh, I'm still not interested in air power. I know that you are, Federico, because I know that you're all in on that sweet, sweet yeah. wireless yeah. charging lifestyle. Stephen, are you wireless charging? Uh, right now, my phone is on the Murphy. <laughs> are you as a person? Yeah. <laughs> wireless are charging? you sitting on a chi chair right now? I am. It's t- it's tingly. <laughs> yeah, I've got the Mophie charger. I've got one on my desk and one on my nightstand. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Like, the only time I plug... My phone into anything is if I want to charge it in my car, and then I feel like it's eighteen thirty. You know, it's it's really it's really nice. I'm a fan, but I understand why you wouldn't be because plugging something in is is obviously super simple. You already have a bunch of chargers. You got to buy something to do wireless charging. It's not as fast. If you have a fast charge, you have to have it lined up right. There's lots of cons to wireless charging, but I generally am am uh, am liking it. I think there's something wrong with me. Like I just oh, don't... I mean definitely. 
But I mean, yeah. plenty of things, but not this one. <laughs> not this. Because I just feel like so many people that I know are just like, oh, yeah, I love this wireless charger. Maybe the problem is, is that I was a person who genuinely really, really liked their already existing docks. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, like, honestly, I don't like the idea of just placing my phone loose onto some pad. Like, it's just not, that's just not what I want to do. So maybe, maybe that's my maybe. problem. We have some scheduling, uh, some very exciting scheduling information to to give to the connected listener, Stephen. Yes, we do. So right now we're recording this on Tuesday mornings. Uh, starting next week, we'll be streaming on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. And the show will be up shortly thereafter on Wednesday afternoons. Uh, so we'll be a day later. We'll be on Wednesdays now uh, starting next week. Today is our last Tuesday show. So... So there you go. That's the announcement. You've been announced. I would just like to apologize to people. I know that this stuff can be uh, difficult because I know like a lot of people plan commutes and stuff to like the shows that they're going to listen to mm-hmm. on those days. So I know it's disruptive to, to make a change like this. Uh, but sometimes these things have to happen. So we're, you will now hear us, I guess, on Wednesday commutes or Thursday commutes, depending on your time zone would be would be my assumption mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to your tuesday or wednesday uh we love you very much and we appreciate your understanding is that all good yeah did i give the official it sounds i feel i feel better okay mm-hmm. great yeah. well, that's good then today's show is brought to you by Sanebox. look i bet if you're listening to this there is something that you don't like about email it could be your client it could be your service it could be that frankly you just get too much of it that's why you need to try Sanebox because wouldn't it be lovely if you could just delete everything. It's not really practical to do that, but it would be really nice. So, because, you know, if you just went Control-A and Archive, you're going to be deleting some important stuff, stuff that you actually do have to deal with. Which, is, But the problem is, one of the huge problems of email is all the stuff is mixed together. The stuff that you want to deal with and the stuff that you don't want to deal with, they all look exactly the same. And at a glance, it's super difficult to try and decipher which messages need your attention. So you can't delete everything because there might be some important stuff. So wouldn't it be nice if all of your email could be pre-sorted for you before it even hits your inbox? That's what Samebox does. They sort through your email and move all of the trivial stuff to different folders. So only the messages that you want in your inbox are the ones that you need. And the great thing is that it works seamlessly with your current system and with any app. One of the best features of Samebox is called the black hole. So if you get a bunch of emails every now and then from lists that you can't seem to unsubscribe from, all you do is you just drag or move that email, that sender, into the black hole and you will never hear from that person again. With Samebox, you can also set up email reminders, snooze your email, and so much more. Steven, I know that you are a Samebox user and have been for a little while. Can you tell me one of one or two of your favorite features? Yeah, my and, and I know you or not an email snoozer, Mike, but I am sometimes. But I like to use the built-in Mail.app. I don't I don't particularly care for many third-party mail clients. Uh, but things like snoozing stuff you lose if you use the first-party app. But uh, Sane, uh, SaneBox has some really cool folders like Sane Tonight, Sane Tomorrow, Sane Next Week. And I can move a message into one of those folders. And then whenever that time comes around, so tomorrow or tonight or next week, that email is put back in my inbox, and I can even control what it does when it comes back in my inbox. I can say, go back with the original time it came in, put it at the top of my inbox as if it's new. You get a lot of control, but I get to use 
the built-in default mail client, which I want to use. And so Sandbox gives me the power user stuff that people enjoy elsewhere, um, but I get to do it the way that I want to. And uh, I'm a big I'm a big fan. I'm going to snooze something right now as I'm talking. See? Snoozed. That's excellent. Shouldn't be in your email, but what are you going to do? To help you get a little more organization in your inbox, we have worked with Samebox to get you a great deal. Just go to samebox.com slash connected, and you'll get a two-week free trial and an extra $25 credit just because you listen to this show. You don't have to give them your credit card information or anything like that to try it out, so... If you decide to buy it, it's when you put it in. So you've got nothing to lose. Check it out today and get your email finally under control. That is sanebox.com slash connected. Sanebox.com slash connected. Our thanks to Sanebox for their support of the show. So panic. Panic is... Uh, you don't have mm. to. It's okay. Everything's calm. Too Maybe late. it's not the best way to begin. Panic at the disco. Um, I, I like those guys <laughs> also. Yeah, I did too. That one debut album... Man, oh, man, I the latest to that album, album is good. So much. I haven't. I mean, it may be. I just haven't listened to it. But that first album, poof, I yeah, listened to that album yeah. like a billion times. Uh, I still remember the title, "A Fever You Can Sweat Out." Oh I think wow! It's the name. What a yeah. great, just great album. Yeah. If your computer has a problem at a party, is it a kernel panic at the disco? <laughs> oh, so why do Ooh. we still do a podcast with Stephen? I don't know. Uh, like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because he is the keeper of the follow-up and the explainer of the old things. Um, So, Panic, the uh, wonderful app developer, announced a couple of weeks ago that they were killing off, kind of, I guess, yeah, killing off Transmit for iOS. Well, I mean, it's not like that they're coming in and ripping it off our phones, but, like, they're just not gonna... They're just not gonna develop it anymore, probably, it seems, most likely. Um... Stephen, can you give us a, a, a summary? Like what's, what is happening here? So Transmit, of course, is an FTP client. It's been around on the Mac since the beginning of time. And that, uh, Transmit or Panic had an iOS version of Transmit. And basically they're doing a couple of things. They're suspending the sale of Transmit. That may have actually already happened. I haven't looked. Coda and Prompt for iOS, two other apps they're doing, are still going. But basically what this blog post boils down to is that Transmit for iOS did not make enough money to cover its own development cost. And uh, Panic, I think to their credit, is unwilling to sell something that they can't actively develop. So it could run forever, which is maintenance updates, but they feel like that's not doing their customers justice. And so they are pulling the app from the App Store. The app will still work, assumingly, until iOS, you know, some future re- release breaks it, but it is uh, effectively um, at the end of its life. They, they said that it made about $35,000 in revenue um, in 2017. That's not enough for them to even pay somebody half time to, uh, to develop it. And they believe the app needs uh, a full-time developer at least. Um, Cause transmit five on the Mac got a bunch of new stuff and that has not, made it down to the iOS version. Um, they seem uh, unwilling, I think is the word I want to use, to to entertain other business models. So they talk about what would uh, Transmit 2 for iOS look like, like a paid update. They don't think that's uh, the answer. They don't seem to think that you know, a, subscription. subscription is the answer, even though I think we're going to talk about that. And they said sort of the last thing here is that the Files app does a lot of file management stuff and 
mm. that transmit had a lot of overlap with that, which I actually don't really agree with because the files app doesn't have like SFTP connections and that's what transmits bread and butter is. So that's what it's for. Yeah. So like, it, I, I mean, I get the point, I get what they're trying to say, but the one feature that people used it for is the one feature that the files app doesn't have. Right. Right. Which is yeah. FTP stuff. And so it's, it's, you know, it's going away and in typical panic fashion, they've done a really good job of outlining their case. And very openly as well. Yeah. I really respect Panic. Like, this is a sidebar. I really respect Panic. They've been in Apple software for a long time. And they are just very straightforward with their users in a way that a lot of developers um, don't have the luxury to be. And uh, I just, mm-hmm. I really respect those guys. Um, they did have one last update that made it uh, support the iPhone 10, which is nice. And they're going to keep the syncing. So you can sync your favorites from the Mac to iOS. That is all going to continue to run. And so if you, even though the app is gone, if you add an FTP connection to the Mac app, it'll sync over to your iPad. Um, So they are keeping support. Um, They are offering customers who purchased in the last 60 days. uh, All they've said is they're offering them support. They say Apple doesn't uh, give them the ability to provide a refund, but it seems like they want to help those customers out. Um, so yeah, I think that's the news that, you know, this app that, uh, you know, clearly not a lot of people, but some people rely on is, uh, it's going away. And that's, that's the story. So one question that can't be avoided here is what does this say about the iOS ecosystem? Like, does this mean Federico Vitici that mm. professional applications have no home on iOS? No, I, I disagree with that. Um, I think it's been a struggle. And um, I think what we're seeing now, and I think we will continue to see this unfortunate trend, is some of these apps, um, like Transmit, uh, apps that tried to bring pro features to iOS and to the iPad before Apple even believed in pro software on iOS and the iPad Pro, these apps seems to me like they are struggling to adapt um, to the times. And of course, they're not generating enough revenue to justify continued development. And I think Transmit will not be the first um, to um, to be abandoned. I think we will continue to see this kind of news, unfortunately, over the past uh, couple of weeks and months. And uh, there's something to be said about the fact that Panic, um, I, I love, I love them. Like it's it's a company that I highly admire and respect. But when it comes to transmit the app itself on iOS, it it leaves a lot to be desired, especially when it comes to comparing transmit on iOS to transmit on the Mac. Um, the features are different. There's several missing, for example, uh, the connections that you can set up on the Mac. You cannot use those on, on iOS. Uh, services that you can configure on the Mac, they're not supported on iOS. And the the most annoying limitation, I think, is the lack of support for iOS 11 features. There's no drag and drop between multiple apps, which would have been ideal for Transmit, so you can upload uh, documents and files from uh, by dragging them from any other iPad app. And also there's no files integration. And the argument that files replaces transmit is kind of... I, I don't really believe that argument because, it, as Steven mentioned, you don't have any FTP features in, in files. You don't even have basic uh, zip support in files. So it's not really a, re- a replacement for transmit. Um, 
that said, uh, and there's also to consider, I would say, I would mention the, the overlap with Coda. Um, I'm taking a look at, uh, ideally tomorrow on Wednesday, I have my next iPad Diaries column uh, about Transmit and FTP clients on iOS. And there's a lot of overlap with Coda, which is the other app by Panic. It basically does everything that Transmit can with the exception of a couple of details. Uh, and of course, Coda does more. And I think I, I say in the article that Coda feels like transmit deluxe because in addition to file management it also does code editing um, but so aside from the, the the missing features and the fact that transmit never adapted to iOS 11 and the overlap with Coda there's something to be said about this uh, transformational change to the app store I feel like uh, a, a whole generation of pro apps that came before subscriptions that came before the new app store came before the iPad Pro uh, the, those are, and if they don't have the resources to justify, we want to continue investing on this product, um, they will struggle and they they will be discontinued. And this is when it comes to making pro software that didn't work before, that's totally on Apple, because you could argue that Apple didn't believe in the iPad as a professional platform, and in iOS as a platform for professional software soon enough. They waited those couple of years where on podcasts and on tech blogs, we were all saying Apple should really pay attention to these companies that are making pro software, but they should give, give them those developers the tools to sell pro software. This is the consequence. Two years later, we're seeing these companies and these developers from indie developers and from smaller companies like Panic, which is smaller by, you know, comparing to Adobe, but it's still a bigger company in the indie scene, uh, we will continue to see, I'm afraid, this kind of news that apps that launched in 2013, 2014, when we were all saying, Apple, please pay attention to these developers, now they are going to be discontinued because they cannot justify major upgrades for iOS 11 and new form factors or new iPads. I... I hear, uh, I hear what you're saying, and I don't necessarily disagree with it, but I do think apps like tra- like Transmit by companies like Panic, if they can't make it work on the iPad, I do think that is that may not say much about the viability of pro apps like on an individual basis, but I do think it says something pretty bad about the the iPad ecosystem on the whole, and I think specifically the types of users that the iPad has attracted. So an FTP client um, is not the most exciting thing in the world. It's, it's actually kind of the opposite of that, right? It is like apps like this are only used by people who are, you know, have nerdy things to get done. You know, they're uploading files to a server, they're building websites, um, I used Transmit on a pretty regular basis. Uh, I do it on the Mac all the time. I do it on my iPad some to upload uh, our finished podcast files to our, our host. Those types of users are on the Mac where Transmit has been for sale for a long time. And I'm not saying like Transmit's the only flag here, like it's the, it's the only thing to look at. But I do think there's a conversation to be had that those types of users aren't adopting the iPad as quickly as some people would like them to. And maybe Transmit would work two or three years from now if Apple spends the next two to three years really pushing the iPad forward. We're going to talk some more about that later on in the show. But I just can't help but think that if a nerdy app like Transmit can't make it, that that does say something about 
the type of users that the iPad has been able to attract. And I don't think what it says mm. is necessarily positive. Mm. I think the problem is there is a problem in looking at this app in like a microcosm because there are, I expect, a ton of different parts to this discussion that we are not privy to and could kind of tint, like taint this. One of these is the fact that Transmit for the Mac is $45. So it's like four to five times more expensive than the iOS version. Now, whatever you can say to that is whatever you say to that, right? Like sure. whether you say like, oh, it's because of the race to the bottom, blah, 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 blah. But my point more is what panic requires as a company for something to be successful is potentially different to what Jane Smith, the developer, requires to be successful. Sure. I don't, I don't right? think that's, and, I think, that's and I think that there are a bunch of problems in being like, this didn't work for Panic, so it can't work. Or like, this means that I, pro apps on iOS are dead. Mm -hmm. Because like, we are grading this completely based upon Panic's internal yeah. metrics yeah. for success. Well, but, and but at the same time, what other metric is there? Like, I can't force my metric of success on another company. Well, the fact that there are four other apps that Federico has yeah. mentioned that do these services that are updated on a regular basis. And and they're all significantly not as nice as Transmit was. Like Yeah, but but that's the priorities thing though, right? Like but but the thing is is like nice in what way? Do you just mean in design or do you mean in features? Yeah, both. Right? Ooh. And but the thing is is like Maybe your FTP app doesn't need to be beautiful. I mean, maybe not. But if if the iPad wants to attract these types of users who are already on the Mac, then this is damaging to that. Because people who buy a $45 FTP client... Like, look, you can go download free ones. Like, Finder can do some of this for you on the Mac. Um you can use your the, whatever hosting service web interface, right? Like you don't have to go out and spend forty five bucks on Transmit, but Panic mm -hmm. has made a business of it and very successful over the years. And yes, it's an expensive app, and it was expensive on iOS, and they clearly have a threshold that an indie developer may not have because they have a staff and a fancy office. We've all been there, um, mm -hmm. but mm. I guess what I'm saying, and and I and I am fully aware that like the danger in this argument is making about this this one app and and. I hope I'm not falling into that because I don't want to. But I do think that if if the iPad wants to attract these types of users, it needs these types of apps. And for a bunch of complicated reasons, Panic's pricing is definitely one of them. But I, you wrote off the race at the bottom. I don't think you can do that. Um, and even on the iPad, this app... No, I wasn't writing it off. I was just saying that that's not something worth getting into because we've spoken about that a billion times. Like, there's no point talking about it. Yeah, but it. It, is, it, is, it is a factor. Uh, we'll just leave it yeah, at that. Yeah, I know, it, but that's why it's not worth talking about. We can all agree upon the fact that that is a problem, right? But it's not worth discussing. You can get this wrong on, on both sides, and I think, we're, I think we're trying to find that middle ground. Like, it is worrisome, but I agree with Federica. This isn't, like, the death blow to pro apps... But at the same time, like, I, I don't think this can just go by as like, oh, well, you know, it didn't work for one company. Because I do think this points to like fundamental problems with the with Mac power users, not the podcast, but 
the people like those types of users um, adopting something like the iPad as a is a is a full time tool because those users who expect this sort of app and this sort of polish, if that's not there on the other platform, then the other platform doesn't look as nice to them. And what, that may be shallow or that may be silly, but I, I do think it's a real factor. Um, and I'm just, I mean, part of this is I'm just sad because I used it and, and I know a lot of people who, who do, and it's mm. a bummer that it's going to go away at some point. The, the last thing that I want to say about this is um, there seems to me as if there's a, uh, a common aspect between some um, long-time Mac developers when they approach uh, iOS and I've seen apps do this before and maybe to an extent Panic um, fell into this problem as well um, that they try to apply the same lessons that they learned on the Mac uh, before the App Store and they just bring them um, to iOS and to the iPad um, for example, the, the, the thinking that um, all iPad users, <clears throat> that all iPad users, they care about beautiful design and or maybe setting a single price once and then not experimenting with it ever again. Or maybe um, enabling new iOS features uh, months after the release. And I think what... what these developers are discovering is that the iOS app store, especially now with the iPad pro is a very different ecosystem than the Mac and then the Mac from the nineties and the Mac before the iPhone and before the iPad. And that the way, you know, um, we're, we are no longer in, in the, I don't know if you guys ever watched the documentary uh, Mac heads uh, from how many years ago, I don't remember, but it feels to me as if a lot of developers, not panic maybe, but, a lot of them, when I see them on Twitter arguing about iOS, that they they still are in that kind of mentality of Apple as the underdog and the Mac head type of era. Uh, and it's not like that anymore. And the App Store now is different. It requires constant experimentation. It requires staying on top of changes to iOS. You, you just cannot say, because my app was successful on the Mac, now I take the same beautiful, arguably beautiful design and attention to detail and the same price. And then, well, it just didn't work on the App Store, so it's totally Apple's fault i don't think it's uh, it's easy like that and i think it's it's important to stay on top of the fact that the ios audience is just different and ipad users have different needs and you know the apps that i'm that i've been taking a look at recently as uh, alternatives to transmit one of them has three different versions on the app store and one for business, one for standard users, one for education. And um, the app is File Browser. File Browser has been around for years. They, they've obviously built a successful business on top of this. And they are relentless in uh, implementing new iOS features and understanding, listening to the user base. And, you know, it's not the most beautiful app ever, but it's still around and it works with iOS 11. So I guess it's a matter of understanding the differences between iOS and the Mac as two platforms, even if they're made by the same company. Um, but I don't think the sort of the, the nostalgic, uh, the old Mac way 
of selling software, I don't think it applies to iOS. And well, I think you're. I think you've got a bunch of chocolate in your peanut butter there. Like I, I agree. Like the business model and the needing to have new feature support. Like Mac developers have gotten out of that habit because the Mac hasn't had radical new UI features in a really long time. But I think that's separate from things like polish and good design that I do think users care about. Like these apps you're talking about, and they're going to be in the show notes. Most of them are like ugly as hell. And I don't know if... But they work. They do work. And now they're your only option because Panic's out of the game. But I I think people... people but even before, <laughs> even before, even, even if Transmit was still around, but it didn't work with drag and drop and files. But people care about the design and pause, especially high-end Mac users that Apple wants to see them adopt the iPad. Like, you can't write it off completely. There has to be balance, I think, and I think that's what your argument is missing, that you have to have support for drag and drop and these new things. 100%, like, still, you know, I I go to use an app that doesn't support something new in iOS, I'm like, what are you doing? It's so frustrating. But on the other hand, an app should, a developer should be able to spend the time and the effort to make something look nice. And if they can't afford it, then their pricing model is wrong. You know, all those things have to be in balance. Panic, I think, went too far in one direction, making it too much like a Mac app. But I think these other apps maybe go too far the other way where they're just focused on utility and the UI leaves so much to be desired that, I mean, people will write apps off based on the screenshots in the app store. And if an app is hideous looking, and sadly most of these are, then they're ne- they're never going to be able to attract some of those users. Some of them will pick them up because they need a tool to finish, clearly. But some users are going to write them off because of the design. I, I, just, I don't know if, if that balance is really hard to strike. And clearly, it's been a real struggle for lots of developers over the history of iOS because you have all these factors and it's all compounded the fact that the iOS app store is a pressure cooker. Um, and I just I, I would like to see some good examples of apps in this space that, that strike that balance a little bit better. I would like to just state at this point that I, I think you're going too hard on the design of these applications. I think that they are just basic. I think hideous is a, the wrong um, word to describe them. They are just extremely basic. I don't think that they are hideous. They're not like incredibly exciting and beautiful like Panic, but they're not... Fine, whatever. Know. I mean, so so you disagree with the adjective, but I think my point stands that if you are used to something like a $45 super polished app on the Mac and your only option on iOS is something that is... Okay, so it's not hideous, but it's basic or clunky, then that doesn't feel as nice. And so maybe you don't trust the app as much or you don't feel like it's the right fit for whatever reason. Well, that's a way to go about it, for sure. Um, I disagree with that, honestly. Um, I think um, for all the reasons that I mentioned before, I think um, it's uh, a. I don't think the, the design is really the problem here, but. The problem, from my opinion, and now I don't work at Panic, I have no idea what the numbers are, but it feels to me as if um, that uh, that way of uh, using software uh, primarily, even if alternatives exist, primarily because of the design, is um, I, I don't think it necessarily applies to to iOS these days. Um, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, uh, but I'm 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 looking at companies, for example, like Ulysses. And they have been able to adapt. They were around on the Mac for years, and they are going through some changes. But 
you know, and they're just one example. Um, I think it, the real problem here is the things that Apple did wrong years ago, for sure, but also a lack of um, experimentation of um, playing around with different things. Um, but yeah, we, we, we can know for sure. So at some point, this this, this whole discussion is, uh, you know, it, well, I don't know how <laughs> useful it can be to just speculate on <laughs> on what Panic did or didn't do wrong. So Yeah, I do. Know. Before we move away from this, I do just want to point out a couple of things because, I mean, Panic were up front with it. Uh, last year, Transmit made $35,000, which I would expect for some people in most cities in the US, like that isn't enough money. Um, and I understand that. Of course, we don't know what it made in the years prior. We're expecting it probably made more because it lasted for the amount of time yeah. that it lasted for. So the revenue decreased over time. But I also want to just mention, because I think it is worth bringing up, that in the same paragraph, they talk about paid upgrades. So it is the I mean, the idea that Federico is, is touching on is the idea of staying too fixed into your specific ways mm-hmm. that you believe that your business works when you know i'm sure they thought about it i would like to believe they thought about it but transmit really really does feel like an app that you could get people to pay monthly for and for whatever reason they decided not to do that but there is a a, a consider a concern here that potentially they canned it because they were thinking about their their tried and true way of doing business um, I mean, which is the exact same reason why Panic pulled a bunch of their applications from the Mac App Store was because of because they couldn't do paid upgrades. So that is their business model, and it has worked very well for them. But it is, I think, worth pointing out that like that is not the business model for app stores now. So that is something that I think is is worth That's just good. highlighting That's a good because point. we have those pieces of information from good from point. them themselves. Do we want to stop talking about this now? Yes, please. All right, Federico, can you just very quickly rattle off your alternatives? Um, file browser is uh, the one that I mentioned, and Coda, and I would also say iFiles, uh, which supports Rackspace Cloud Files too, which is our CDN that we use on Mac Stories. And these are, when it comes to FTP, I would say the three um, the three choices that I would try. And I go into more detail with screenshots, and um, you know, um, I ex- explain a bunch of features uh, in in the next uh, iPad Diaries. Uh, sorry. I also want to give a shout-out to Documents by Riddle, which in theory supports uh, SFTP, but I wasn't able to make it connect to my to my FTP server. Um, but it, it's also a, a basic file manager, which I could see the argument here that in the age of files, you probably don't need Documents, with the exception that Documents handles uh, zip archives, which in 2018... Um, you know, files still doesn't. And uh, also, I want to mention DevonThink, which is on the other end of the file manager spectrum. It's a, it's a, it's an advanced file manager. You can do things like automations to save new files in different formats. You it supports web archives, which are one of the features that you know Mac users should fam- be familiar with the ability to save a web page offline. It also supports multiple data databases syncing with an encrypted uh, database via Dropbox. It's uh, it's what I use to organize my research material, but it doesn't support FTP uh, you know, for uploads and file transfers. So this is just a file manager. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure what uh, if, I, if I will 
stick with a single FTP client and file manager on my iPad, but I would say these are the, the alternatives you, you can play around with right now. And File Browser is the, uh, is the only one that, um, that integrates with files with the file provider extension, so you can actually uh, connect and uh, browse your FTP server in the Files app. All right, let's take our first break. Then we're going to talk about something, and then we're probably going to argue again. So, you know, you've got that to look forward to. Today's show is brought to you by Anchor, the fastest and easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have something you want to say or a moment that you want to share, you can. You don't need a mobile recording rig. Just download the app from the App Store, and you can record into Anchor like you're talking on the phone. Then Anchor takes care of the rest. As well as being able to create a quick podcast of your own, Anchor is also a really cool social network. You can follow people, call into their stations, leave them questions, and listen to some of your favorite people share their thoughts with you. I've been playing around with Anchor for a few weeks, and I love it. I love the design of the app. Um, I love the fact that it can very easily create transcriptions of the things that you're talking about, which enables you to edit stuff. It's great. So what you do, if you want to edit a clip that you've got, right? you just let it create the transcription, and it shows you in text as the audio is playing so you can choose where to trim based upon cutting off the words it's very simple it's like quick and easy way to get your thoughts out into the world if you want to find out more about anchor there is a great way to do it go to my page at anchor.fm slash mike hurley you can find out more about anchor and follow me and the reason you should do that is because i am doing a persistent audio ama with listeners of this show sign up for anchor Go to my page, you can press a button that says call into my station, and you can leave me a message, and I'll play back the best ones on my channel and give my answers. So go to anchor.fm slash Mike Hurley to check it out and leave me an AMA question so you may hear it on my station. Our thanks to Anchor for their support of this show. So Federico, uh, in a... What have I done this time? Stunning <sighs> break from convention, you have decided for the first time to try... Mm a third-party iPad keyboard. I know you have no experience in this whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. What did you buy, yeah. and how is it treating yeah. you? Well, you know, for years I've been using an Apple Smart Keyboard as my only iPad keyboard, and I thought, you know, maybe it's time for a change. Maybe I should try some of those third-party iPad keyboards. And um, um, this is not really the truth. I'm, I'm not sure how I can, I can keep pretending. Um, so... New iPad keyboard, I, I've been using the Slim Convo, the Logitech one. We talked about it in our live show, connected live from Chicago back in October 2017. Uh, so you can go back and listen to that one. Um, I've been very happy with the Slim Combo um, at my desk. I haven't been happy with the Slim Combo um, when I needed to use the iPad in my car or on my lap or when I was on the couch or something. And I, the the obvious solution, uh, because I don't want to use the smart keyboard for a bunch of reasons that I also talked about in the past, such as the lack of uh, backlit illumination or the non-adjustable viewing angle. And the only solution uh, was, once again, the bridge keyboard. Uh, the, 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 the keyboard, the Mac-like, the MacBook-like keyboard that, for example, Jason Snell uses. But bridge keyboards have, are quite well known on Twitter and on other tech podcasts for their unreliability. It's uh, not uncommon that you buy a bridge keyboard and you need to return it because it's dropping keystrokes when you type. Um, uh, this happened to me twice in the past. 
And that's why I really did not want to try the bridge lottery again. I didn't want to see if the third time was a charm. But uh, spoiler alert, it was. It totally worked. Uh, I realized, as I was talking, uh, I was talking, so here's how it happened. I was talking to Steve Trump Smith on iMessage. And he, he had been tweeting about the fact that he was waiting for a bridge keyboard. And I I went on Amazon Italy. So Amazon Italy never had the bridge keyboards before. I went on Amazon Italy just, you know, just out of curiosity. And I saw that the Space Gray one for the 12.9 was in stock. And this was Sunday evening. And it had Monday morning delivery. And uh, there were only a handful left in stock. And I thought, you know... And maybe I should try again. And worst case scenario, I'm just going to return it because re- returning something on Amazon is not too bad. Uh, so I got one. And um, Steve was quite upset that mine was uh, coming before his keyboard <laughs> because he's been tweeting for like a week <laughs> about this bridge keyboard and mine just showed up like 12 hours later. Um, and... Um, and yeah, it worked. Uh, this time, uh, it appears that I have a functioning bridge keyboard that does not does not drop. This is this is actually you know the chances are uh, you have far better chances of winning. I think a WWDC <laughs> ticket than getting a working bridge keyboard. Uh, but yeah, it seems to be working. It reconnects to my iPad when you when you open the lid. It connects. It doesn't drop any keys. And it's just as beautiful as as you know, the keyboard I remember seeing Jason uh, use uh, with his iPad Pro, and um, so far I'm happy with it. It um, I can use the iPad on my lap, I can use it on a desk, I can use it in my car because it's like using a laptop, which is why people on Twitter yesterday were really upset. So I want to give you a breaking piece of news. Uh, I went to Amazon to see if it's available here because I'm thinking I might be willing to try it again now i don't have to ship it to the u.s if it's broken which was the problem that i had with the last two that i tried um but uh the amazon echo spot is now available in the uk i just wanted to tell you that information okay i've I've been uh, i'm tempted i've been enjoying mine i have the spot on yeah 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 yeah. jeff Mm -hmm. Jeff bezos calls took you in at night all right i'm tempted um yeah you can drop you can drop in on me if you want to You know, okay, we're going to real diversion here. I was thinking about this. Like, I watched a review on The Verge about the Echo Spot recently, and they're like, oh, if you don't mind having a camera in your bedroom. And I'm like, oh, I don't want a camera in my bedroom. And then I thought, oh, all of our phones have cameras in them, whatever. Uh, And then kind of moved on from that feeling for a little bit. Right, like because it, it hits you because you're like, oh man, I don't want a camera. Imagine in if the we had cameras, and in then our you bedroom. remember. I know that, like, I have, uh, we have four cameras in our bedrooms because each of our phones have two of them, right? So, like, or whatever. Six. You get I'm, two cameras on the back of your phone. Oh no! Multi-pad okay, so yeah, we got some big problems <laughs> and iPads as well. But anyway, uh, maybe I'll give it a go. Maybe I'm going to build up an Amazon order right now, including an Echo Spot and a bridge keyboard. But like, we can think about that later. Um, and the reason is because I had one and I loved the form factor. What I didn't love is the fact that the keys <laughs> didn't work. Um, but the form factor is fantastic. The reason being because it's a laptop and laptops, spoiler alert, is a great form factor. So the people say, 
oh, you just got a laptop. Yes. Why don't you get a MacBook? <laughs> uh, that is the argument that people make. And I feel like I can't believe I still feel that this argument needs to be made. Yeah. And like, Federico, will you say it with me? I have it in the document here. Will you say it with me? It's all about the OS, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, that's what it's about. Like, I, it's okay to prefer iOS over the Mac. It's I, f- I think it's fine. I just don't understand why some people, and this is what I've been, I've been trying to engage with these people on Twitter. Uh, like asking, mm. why do you send me this reply? Why do you think it was necessary to tell? <laughs> I've been trying, because I feel like if you, maybe sometimes if you try to diffuse the situation with these people, maybe it helps. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, let's say someone on Twitter uh, tweets at me, congratulations, congratulations, you just invented the laptop. <laughs> and I can feel the sarcasm. I can feel. I can feel the tone, right? And so I reply to these people: Why do you do this? Why do you feel? Was this tweet necessary? What's the purpose of your tweet? What, what are you hoping to change with this tweet? That's what I've been trying to understand. Like, it's an iPad. It runs iOS, and it's got a keyboard attachment that makes it look like a laptop. It makes it like a laptop. But it's not a computer that runs a macOS. Now, what is your problem if I'm using an iPad with a keyboard? That's what I don't understand. I, I felt that we were past this point. Of Some people mm. just prefer MacBooks, which is fine. And some people prefer iPads, which is also fine. I don't understand why some people feel the need to reply in that way on Twitter. And when you reply to them, they don't reply back. So all the people that I asked, why do you do this? Why do you feel like it's necessary for you to point out to me that I made the iPad into a laptop? And they never reply. One Because maybe they just want to get into a fight and you know they just want to annoy you on Twitter. Which is sad because I, I, would, like to, I would like to have a conversation with these people. I would like to, to say, what makes you angry? What makes you angry? I mean, or, you know, maybe they realized that they were making a dumb joke and obviously it didn't work because it only annoyed you. Like, that could be yeah, a big anyway. reason for a lot of people. Like, a lot of people aren't trying to upset you. Yeah. They're just making a joke. But there are people that, like, make these comments and they believe that what you're doing is saying that the Mac is bad. No, like, and, no. And I, I don't... It doesn't. The, the thing is, it doesn't have to be one or the other, no, right? Like there again, I, you know, maybe I'll just throw out some reasons again why me and Federico would quite like to uh, attach keyboards to our iPads that make them look like MacBooks. The reason is is because we both prefer iOS. Uh, we like the ultimate portability that comes along with it, and this is in two different ways. The way that I look at it, my iPad is more portable than my Macs, but. Also, my iPhone is the most portable device of all, and it shares a consistent OS and experience with my iPad, right? Like, they're, they're very similar. They use the same applications. Except where, if you need Control Center, there's that. So deal with that, Mike. Yeah, deal with it's, it. It's still Argument the same destroyed. Control Center. How do you get to Control Center on the Mac? Please give me that information. I would like <laughs> yeah, it. They should, ha- they should have Control Center for the Mac, actually. <laughs> right? But this is my point, right? Like, I'm not saying they're the same swipes and taps. I, I'm, and I'm just mocking Control Center. You're just touchy. I know you are. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. Uh, they have built-in cellular connections, iPads do, which is really lovely. There are many, many, many reasons. Uh, and the thing is, like, we just, this is just what we like. And it would be really nice if they 
could make a keyboard that really worked very well. So, Stephen, why don't you ask your question? What if Apple made an iOS-powered laptop? Jason Snell has been writing a bunch about this. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting idea. Hmm. Would you be interested in, you know, say, a 12-inch MacBook or a 13-inch MacBook form factor, but it ran iOS instead of macOS? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, here's my answer. Here's my question before I answer. Um, because I need uh, the specifics. Would the screen be detachable? Uh, I mean, Apple doesn't believe in that, so I would say no, just for the sake of our conversation. Um, so uh, um, my answer would be, I would consider that device for the home, but I would still like a screen that I can detach. Because I really like the idea that of the convertible, that I can pick up the screen and use it with the software keyboard, yeah. or put it in, into the, the thing, and it becomes a laptop. I really like that, but I would still consider because I, I, I want an iOS laptop. Even if I won't buy one, I want the iOS laptop to exist. Right. And uh, you know, yeah, I would one hundred percent buy it and replace my twelve point nine with it, and keep using my ten point five wherever I go in the world. I think it'd be really interesting. And Apple seems allergic to experimenting with form factor on the notebooks. Like, there's no two in ones. There's no touch screen on the Macs, and and. The further we get into this, the more it seems like that all is a mistake, that these devices are popular on the other side of, of the fence, and uh, Apple doesn't have anything to show for it. So uh, I find the, the conversation really interesting. There'll be links in the show notes. Jason Snell has written two columns at Macworld, basically one listing the pros and the other listing the cons. is a very interesting approach. Um, but I agree with you all that this would be – like it'd be great if this existed. I think it would do a lot for the platform – but the trade-off is that portability, right? Like you, the bridge keyboard and these other keyboards are attractive because you can separate them and you still just have a tablet, right? So you can still use it in bed or in the car or anywhere else. Whereas a notebook, at least the way Apple makes notebooks, those two things are joined permanently. So it seems like that's the distinction. Federico, what is not so great about the bridge compared to some of the other products that you've tried? It doesn't have uh, an Italian layout, so I'm stuck with the stupid uh, return key from the American layout. Um, <laughs> that is a stupid return key. Um, you know, it's not the L-shaped one that we have in Italy. Um, so mm. and here, oh, oh, we have it too. Nice. Oh, well, I mean, of course, yeah, Euro- Europe once well. again mm-hmm. uh, teaching the rest of the mm-hmm. world. Um, and uh <laughs> <laughs> oh man so much i mean if we hadn't if we hadn't encouraged enough email Look, yeah after last week with <laughs> with the comments about the uh-huh. no no we don't talk about that again i, I we don't feel talk like about it. i feel like I, I can you can take on the world <laughs> <laughs> i can't survive anything at this point um except a house fire <laughs> no why would you say oh, that oh god no <laughs> Ah, ah. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I tried to explain the situation to Sylvia. She was like, "Why? Why?" No, her question was, "Why do you still like people?" Something like that. Um, <laughs> Man, she, uh, anyway, she's my kind of person. So, yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. anyway, it doesn't have it doesn't have the the Italian keyboard layout. Um, the 
because of the way that the hinge uh, is designed, the the iPad sits lower than the keyboard, slightly mm. lower, which makes it more difficult, not impossible, but more difficult to swipe from the bottom to open the dock and control center uh, because the keyboard kind of gets in the way. As I saw someone on Twitter saying uh, that they also have a bridge keyboard and they, that, that was really clever, actually. They cut... Uh, two small pieces of foam and they put it in the two uh, you know in the two attachments of the of the keyboard and uh, to raise the iPad a bit higher so that it's not a problem um, when swiping from the bottom and I might consider something like that um, but my foam cutting skills are not are not too too great um, not that I know I'm just imagine uh it's bluetooth so it doesn't have a smart connector uh and that means that well it means that you don't get all the latest smart connector issues on ios 11 but it also means that you gotta wait a couple of seconds for the keyboard to connect uh which is uh and the battery and the battery and the battery you gotta you gotta think about that you gotta charge it every every couple of months at least um and finally this is a design flaw, I think, of the bridge keyboard. It doesn't have the the keyboard slash case. It doesn't have a, uh, like a like a lip on the side, so that if you want to open, because it's got a magnetic um, connection and it's quite tight, uh, but it doesn't have like a like a cutout to to place your fingertip and and detach them. Uh, it can be a little tricky to open uh, the the bridge keyboard when it's closed uh, on top of the iPad screen. Uh, it's not you know like MacBooks for example they have a cutout so you can place your finger and raise the yeah. screen uh, this uh, doesn't have a cutout um, so uh, I've noticed since yesterday I can already I, I've already noticed that for example Silvia uh, said so show me this keyboard I was like uh, hold on I cannot find a way to open it because <laughs> I, I, I was kind of struggling <laughs> you there. used to do that tiny uh, crowbar with you at all times yeah or I should grow a, a single fingernail uh, longer than the others <laughs> <laughs> mm, please don't do that. Whatever you do, please don't Some do that. Some people do that. I th- I always thought it's I super know, gross. I uh, really don't want you to do it. I think it's for different reasons besides an iPad oh, keyboard, no, but I'm not no, sure. No, no, no. I don't. I don't know what that no, is. I don't want to know. I want to move on. Please. Hmm. Mm. So anyway, uh, iOS laptop, please. Bridge keyboard finally works, but if you want to get one, uh, please be aware that it's a lottery. And as with other lotteries, if you don't win, you're going to be sad. Only in this case, you also got to return a keyboard to Amazon. And if my Twitter, I'm making a very timely joke here. If my Twitter timeline is anything to profess to, if you do win a lottery, you can tweet about it and get people to retweet you in the hopes that they will give you some money. Um <laughs> I've, I don't know if you guys have been seeing this, but this keeps popping up in my timeline. That guy who won like the $400 million thing, whether it's true or not, like there's a tweet going around that he's going to give people money if hmm. they retweet it or something. Really? Like, I don't, I can't. I, yeah. Well, I'm not giving, I'm not giving anybody any money if they retweet my keyboard key pictures. That's not going to happen. So... You will give them hell, though, if they argue with <laughs> no, you. No, I'm just trying to reason with <laughs> them. Gonna... I'm just trying to reason with them. I have a human conversation. That's what I want to do. Today's show is brought to you by Ting. Ting is a mobile phone service that wants to help save you money. Ting believes that you should only pay for what you use. And with prices like $10 per gigabyte of data, the average Ting customer pays just $23 a month per phone. If you're in the U.S. and you use a cell phone, probably all of you, 
you're going to, well, all of you in the U.S. I say that every time, but what I mean is everybody in the U.S. uses a cell phone. I know that we have international listeners. I'm one of them. But anyway, if you're in the U.S. and you use a cell phone, you'll love what the folk over at Ting can do for you. They don't believe in contracts, overage fees, or unlimited plans with tons of catches. They have top-rated, no-hold customer support. When you call Ting, you'll get through to a real person. They are focused on offering the best prices that they can for their customers over at Ting. And any savings that they can make, they will pass on to you. 80% of the devices made in the last two years can come to Ting, and Ting offers both GSM and CDMA. And they even offer all the latest iPhones as soon as they launch, along with Apple Care too. So if you want to go and pick up a brand new iPhone with a great new carrier, maybe you should try out Ting. And if you're stuck in a contract currently, they're going to offer you 25% credit of your early termination fee as well, up to $75 per device that you bring over to Ting. To get started, go to connected.ting.com and use their handy device checker to confirm your phone can make the move. And if you're looking to upgrade to a new device, they have plenty of options available in their online store. Listeners of this show can save 25 dollars on select devices or keep it as ting credit just go to connected.ting.com and see how much you can save our thanks to ting for their support of this show gentlemen i would like to to pose a hypothetical hmm. to you which i think ties a, a thread through some of the conversations that we've been having today and also uh maybe highlights the fact that we haven't really seen anything in the the way of rumors of ipad like hardware leaks or anything like that. I was about to say, yes, a duck-sized Mike would win against a horse-sized Steven. But it's not about that. <laughs> okay. It's about the... Okay, okay. It's about the... Okay. It's not about that. It's not about that. All right, here's my hypothetical situation. So, now that Apple is getting themselves such good press and customer satisfaction from professionals in rededicating themselves to making pro Mac hardware... Will they therefore take their foot off the pedal for pro iPad hardware, considering that the pro iPad market is less represented in the technology press? So another question to this, can there be pro Max and pro iPads at the same time? Okay. Um, so there's a, there's a few things to unpack here. Um, the first one, I think I'm mildly concerned about the lack of any tangible rumors about the specifics of new iPads um, this year. Now, I don't think last year the rumors mentioned the stuff like ProMotion, but I'm f I remember that there were rumors of 10.5, a new iPad form factor, and I, w I wonder if there's any new iPad hardware in the, in the pipeline coming soon or soonish or if we're going to have to wait until September or if we're not going to get any new iPad in 2018. Uh, I, want to, I want to believe that there, you know, the, the, the iPad release cycle will not stop. Uh, that we're not going back to the days of, um, you know, uh, it's been two years, I guess, time for new iPads. Uh, so I, I wanna, I wanna see Apple continue releasing new iPads and new iPad software features in iOS. So I feel more confident about the software than about the hardware at this point. Um, but the other question is. What about the relationship with the press and the fact that 
the 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 tech press has liked the 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 renewed commitment to the pro mac uh hardware line and community and the problem here i think is that the usual circle of tech press that apple works with they tend to be mac users and they tend to be pro mac users um at least it's very common you know whether it's a website like the verge or TechCrunch, or uh, someone like John Gruber. Podcasts like this one, right? Yeah. Like me and Steven are both very happy about this, yeah. right? Like about the iMac Pro and the Mac yeah. Pro and stuff like but that. But especially so, when you consider... You know, it's everywhere. When you consider... When you consider when, it, when it's time, for example, to see the new hardware, um, those websites are going to be more excited, I think, about the new, new Pro Macs than new Pro iPads. If only because they use them more. It's like if you send me an iMac Pro for review, uh, I would be happy. Uh, it's a new Apple machine. It's a powerful one, but it wouldn't be over the moon because I, I don't use it every day. And I guess the same happens with the with the iPad. So I, I do wonder, do does Apple sort of say, let's put the iPad on hold, on hold for now. Let's totally focus on the Mac and make sure that we get, you know, you, we get good press, we get good coverage, and so that we can sort of uh, counter the the all the negative press that we got in 2017 until we announced that we were committed to the Mac and all the problems that happened with the MacBook Pro, for example. That would make sense. But I'm concerned about it as an iPad user. But on the other hand, my counter question would be, are we sure that doing that wouldn't create another problem? Because I do remember, so people have short memory maybe, but I do remember all those years uh, until the until iOS 11 saying, well, the iPad is dead, Apple is not going to worry, uh, is, doesn't care about the iPad anymore. Look at iOS, iOS, is, it's a joke. Uh, the iPad as a computer, it's a joke. And I know because people have told me so many times on Twitter and over email. So uh, now that the iPad is fine with iOS 11 and the latest iPad Pros, it doesn't mean that if Apple stops innovating on the iPad, um, people will not go back to complaining and to writing blog posts and to saying the iPad is doomed. So ideally, it should be a balance between the two, and it should be both because Apple is a big company is a big company with a, with a lot of resources and uh, different teams working on different products. So. I think it would make sense for Apple to cater to the to the Mac uh, aficionados in the press, but also it would make more sense to keep everybody happy so that you get the Mac people are happy and the iPad people are also happy. And so you get no negative coverage anywhere. So here's my feeling on this, why I think this is okay. I think that WWDC was the like was a was the effective mac roundtable but for ipad users because we got a ton of new features and new hardware all at the same time like it was the acknowledgement that professional ipad users also had been in the weeds a little bit and that things had kind of just slowed down significantly but it wasn't as bad as it had gotten for Mac users at that point, which was why 
Apple didn't need to come out and be like, okay, like we have to tell you in advance what we're doing so you'll feel better, right? I think we kind of got what we wanted for professional iPad users at the kind of time that we expected to get it. Like, if it, if this stuff hadn't been ready for June and maybe it was going to come out a little bit later, I would have expected them to also kind of come out and say, hey, you know, we're going to do this. I can do a little, like maybe tack on the the iPad stuff on the end of the Mac roundtable thing or whatever. <laughs> By the way, don't, no, um, don't leave. We have one more thing. We're like, we're okay, we're okay. And... I think the reason that there could be concern and why this hypothetical is occurring right now is because all of the attention right now is on Pro Mac hardware because that's what's happening today and there just isn't anything yet. And that maybe if this year continues to go by and we don't get anything on the iPad, then it will be cause for concern. Uh, but I also, you know, I said this and I believe this, I don't think that we are on an annual cycle for iPad hardware, I think we're on 18 to 24 months, which is probably why we haven't seen anything. I think the earliest that we see any new iPads will be September. Um, but really, WWDC is the story, right? Like if there are continued improvements, not the scale of 11, because again, as I said last week, I don't think that's necessary. But if they have, you know, continued improvements in 12 for the iPad, then then that will be great. But I guess the other point, and I'll ask this to you, Stephen, is it possible for Apple to focus on both of these professional markets at the same time? Do they have the capability and capacity to do it? They they should. Apple is enormous with lots of resources. I, I think when thinking about this topic in preparation, I was reminded of that article that came out a couple of years ago. We'll try to dig up the link uh, about Apple's executive structure and how there's not... Like each product is not... Um, it's not held like ownership by a single person at the very top, right? You have software and hardware and marketing, but there's not, you know, an executive vice president of iPad, executive vice president of iPhone. Those people are further down in the chain, but at the very top, it's a very small number of, uh, of people. And that article, one of the things raised in the conversation about it in the, in the weeks after it was, is Apple sort of does Apple have a um, a, cho- a choke point at the top? Is there is there a bottleneck at the top that they can you know that core group of five or six people can only focus on so many things at once because they're just five or six of them and they sort of take turns right? Hey, we're going to focus on the Mac for twenty seventeen and the beginning of twenty eighteen, and then we're going to deal with iPads later on. And, and you see this cycle if you look over time, if you sort of um, if you sort of blur the edges in this current like 2016, 2017 thing, which I think is very clearly now, I think Apple Park derailed the company in a way they did not anticipate and did not prepare for. <laughs> I still think we're kind of getting back on track after getting that campus done. But if you look back, this is kind of how it's been for a long time. There's a TikTok to these things where some things have the 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 attention of Apple and then the spotlight focuses somewhere else and they circle back to that other thing. Um, the only thing that it supersedes all of that is the iPhone, of course, right? It has an annual cycle. No matter what, there will be a new iPhone every September come what may. It will happen. I think Apple should and can and like they should have a Mac and an iPad Pro story that are that are in parallel. Like Apple should be able to chew gum and walk at the same time. 
And for whatever reason, they can't. And my my suspicion is that that doesn't have much to do with hardware, that it is much more about software, that they, Mac OS and iOS are developed in tandem with each other, but because iOS has to be ready for the new iPhone, I don't know, there's something in there that just makes me feel like they 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 struggle to focus equally throughout the year and that, that software is the is the bigger the bigger sufferer there. But but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I wish they could. I wish that every WBC like it could be like last year and everyone's happy all the time. But Apple doesn't seem to be able to do that for whatever reason. And maybe it has to do with the press cycle. Maybe it has to do with the small executive team. Um but I, I think that they should be able to move these things in parallel without any issue, but it's not the case. Yeah. So it is worth mentioning because I like to talk about this wherever I can. Uh, Apple still does sell more iPads than they do Macs. Um, and I mean, I'm just going to throw uh, uh, something out there. I reckon that Apple probably sell more iPad Pros than they will iMac Pros. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But does that seem wild? No. Right? That feels extremely possible just based purely upon how much they cost, right? More than anything else. Um, I mean, revenue is a different thing, but you know, you're thinking about how many customers you want to have and then how much money you can make from the customers over the lifetime, et cetera, et cetera. And I would think that with the current trajectory of the iPad, which is positive where it hasn't been for years, it will be a terrible time for them to take their foot off the gas. And it really does seem like Tim Cook is... A believer of the iPad. So I would, I mean, my overall takeaway from this is I would be incredibly surprised if Apple decided to, because a few, uh, I, I don't know if niche should be mm-hmm. the word, but like because a bunch of technology publications uh, were, were happy about this, that they would change their entire business. Yep. Because I, I, I don't think that that is a, a great idea. And of course, this is only a hypothetical that we have posed, right? So, like, I'm arguing against my own question. But <laughs> that was my question in the first place. Um, but I would be surprised to see them be like, oh, so people love those uh, Mac Pros? Well, let's just make those. Like, that's all we need to do. I would be super surprised yeah. to see that occur, um, especially at a time where the iPad is starting to show positive signs that it hasn't in many, many years. And 18 months is fine for that. Like, I agree with you. I think... I totally think that is fine. Yearly software updates and eighteen-month hardware updates—that works yeah. perfectly fine for me. I don't need more. Yeah, than that. I mean, I know I don't I, need an iPad every year. Yeah, I mean, I really don't think that anybody should be worried that it's January sixteenth and we haven't heard iPad rumors. Like, if you're expecting a new iPad Pro in March, you're you've lost your mind. Like, that's just not the way this works. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because that's less than a year since the last yeah, one. Right? Not, it's like nine they months. They did that in the early days, but that's not how it is mm-hmm. anymore. That's totally fine because the iPad hardware. Yes, we'd all like to see new things. And I think we all have desires for certain features, but it's great. Like, it's not like the iPad Pro is hurting from a hardware perspective right now. And so, yeah, if it's September and we don't see anything. You know, it's the end of the year. We don't see anything and they don't make it until next March. You know, that's, you know, 20 months or so. That's probably on the longer end of things. But I, I think at this point, it's fine. I think what I think what we all need to be looking for is those trends of wherever the iPad Pro lands, if it's 18 months or so, then does Apple stick to that? And does every 18 months, when every 18 months comes around, 
is the update meaningful in a way that that matters to to its customers? When Apple does annual iOS updates, does the iPad see something every year, which I think all three of us want, and I think we all believe that it needs? Or is the pattern going to be the way it's been so far, and basically every two years you get new pro iPad features? And if that's the case, then I think we can argue that you know they need to speed that up. So I think at this point moving forward, if Apple Park is behind them and they're moving in and all that stuff, you know, they're they're done building it and designing it for the most part. What do the new patterns become for Mac and, and iOS hardware? And does Apple stick to those and do the patterns make sense and do they meet the needs of of the users who make their livings on these things? And if if so, that's great. And if not, then we have plenty more to talk about in future episodes. If you'd like to find our show notes for this week's episode, go to relay.fm slash connected slash 176. I want to once more thank our sponsors, Sanebox, Anchor, and Ting for their support of this week's episode. Go to 512pixels.net to find Stephen's work online, and you can go to MaxStories.net. MaxStories.net, that's what it's called. Uh, (laughs) MaxStories.net to find Federico's work. Uh, This show is a part of Relay.fm. You if you only listen to this show and listen to a couple of Relay FM shows, go to relay.fm slash shows and pick something else. I know we're going to have something else there that you're going to enjoy. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back at our new time next week. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.